Welcome to the ACO Show. Today, Josh welcomes Dr. Emily Maxson, Allidade's Chief Medical Officer, to discuss why helping patients plan for serious illness, a process known as advanced care planning, is such an important part of healthcare. Josh also talks to Dr. Stephen Bacanich and Steve Wardle from Iris Healthcare to talk about work they did together on advanced care planning at Allidade and what they achieved. Welcome to the ACO Show. I'm Josh Israel, and I'm joined today for our first guest by Dr. Emily Maxson, Allidade's Chief Medical Officer. Uh, Emily, we're talking today with the co-founders of Iris Healthcare, a company that does uh, comprehensive advanced care planning, and we'll hear more about how they did it and what they accomplished. But thought we'd start with you. Why did Allidade take on advanced care planning as part of our work in value-based care? Thanks, Josh. Allidate is always looking for opportunities to improve the care our patients receive. And one thing that we know is that advanced care planning is not about rationing or denying care. It's about clarifying what a person wants so that they actually get the care they envision. And more often than not, understanding someone's wishes means that we allow them to avoid services they never wanted in the first place. So in this way, advanced care planning could be considered the value-based care services for individuals nearing their final chapter. And it's amazing for families too. Can you say more about what's good about it for families? Sure. Ambiguity surrounding a patient's end-of-life wishes can really tear families apart. It's a time where emotions are running really high. And I've seen in my clinical practice, families struggle with one another when comfort and love are needed most. There's also additional pain for the patient. Unclear wishes can mean a patient is subjective to additional services they never wanted. And so you often see families who may not have been close to the situation coming in at the 11th hour and really struggling with one another. Yeah, thanks Emily for a little bit more on the why. I know that when I was speaking to physicians about this, when we first launched it, uh, people really do have some pretty strong preconceived notions about this that we would talk to them about how we were offering the service that was really intended just to give patients the care they wanted and people would still sometimes react um, as if our goal was just uh, denial of service um, you know reduced care because it was better for the people paying for it rather than the families uh, so i think we probably can't talk too much about about that this is good for patients and families and that's why we do it i completely agree josh Dr. Emily Maxson, thanks as always. And now let's get in a little bit to the how, now that we've covered a little bit more on the why. Usually I'm just purely interviewing our guests here, but, but we're gonna be talking today about something that I was more personally involved in. I got to Allidade over five years ago. Allidade's overall goal is to improve patients' health and quality of life in ways that also bring down healthcare. And it's a known thing that high costs at the very end of life are a big driver of healthcare costs, to the tune of literally hundreds, hundreds of billions of dollars. And one of the things that I was working on was how Allidade could approach that. We started by trying to help support our partner primary care physicians do more advanced care planning. Advanced care planning is the process where patients, families, doctors discuss patients' goals and values in relation to their medical care, particularly as these relate to potentially life-threatening illness. These are conversations that were made famous or infamous not too long ago around death panels when Medicare started paying physicians about $80 for every advanced care planning conversation that they had. But our hope was that if doctors started having more of these conversations, it would lead to patients getting the end-of-life care that they wanted, that it would lead to lower costs. But we didn't make much progress. We found that doctors who were already having these conversations kept having them, 
but we were not very successful at changing the work patterns of doctors who just felt too busy or just felt they didn't have the skills or training to have a conversation like that. So we got together with a company called Iris, and we're gonna talk about the results there. In short, we introduced a company to help us address advanced care planning um, with our patients. We worked hard to identify these patients who would benefit the most, and we got amazing results. We found that the intervention that Iris brought to the healthcare of, of our patients uh, saved somewhere, depending how you slice the data, between $4,000 and almost $24,000 per patient. It worked so well that Allidate has since gone and acquired Iris Healthcare. So what I want to do today is introduce uh, the Iris team and talk about what they did. So I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Stephen Buchanan, who's a palliative care physician and the co-founder of Iris, and Steve Wardle, who was the CEO of Iris. Uh, welcome to you both. Thanks, Josh. We're really excited you, to be here. Uh, so I'll start with you, uh, Stephen Buchanan. Uh, what led you to this work? What led you to co-found Iris? Yeah, it was. It's been a it's been a journey over the last couple of decades here. So uh, originally, I was in a different field of medicine, and uh, I was raised by my grandparents. My grandmother was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer. My grandfather diagnosed with dementia, pretty much at the same time. We had kind of a dysfunctional family to start with, and this really kind of tore things apart. It was very difficult on all of us. And even as a physician, I did not feel well prepared uh, to bring my, the people that I love the most, uh, my, my childhood and, and my adult heroes um, through their journey of, of serious illness and said, so there's, there's gotta be a better way. And this was before palliative care was a recognized specialty. I switched specialties and, and, and found a way to do palliative care uh, before there, was, there were boards and, and formal recognition and such. And <clears throat> practiced this coast to coast all over. There's always great need for people in palliative care because one of, one of our problems is we have a workforce shortage. One of the things that I found over the years is that people were always asking me to talk to their friends, friends of friends, other loved ones that I didn't know. I'd never met them before. And they'd say, hey, just will you call this person on a Saturday or Sunday or, or in the evening and talk to them? And I would do this over and over and over and felt at the end of these conversations that lights were turned on for people. Uh, they would say, boy, this was so valuable. Why hasn't my doctor talked to me about this before and such? And I just, the concept that this was needed for all of these folks across the country just grew and grew and grew. Uh, before Steve and I started Iris, I wound up running an ACO here in Texas and went into that space to create a bigger footprint for palliative care, worked on a couple of models with primary care practices that didn't go well, uh, didn't work out and kept trying and found one eventually that did. And uh, that was kind of the foundation for starting Iris. Yeah, one of the things that Allidate has loved about this, that I have loved about this, is that it's a, it's a great model for what an accountable care organization is designed to do, which is help patients live better with an incentive system built in, that it rewards the healthcare system financially for patients having better quality of life, which isn't always the case. So you have this this good idea, this important idea. Steve Wardle, you know, what happens next? How do you go from, from that idea to a, a company? Well, great question. 
you know, for me, what takes a, a concept and creates a, vi a viable business is, are we really solving problems for people? Uh, that's how I think about it. And when you look at the healthcare space where we're wasting a trillion dollars each year, and uh, you know that's significantly larger than many industries. That's just the amount in healthcare that we're wasting every year on unnecessary care. You know, one of the biggest drivers. You know, so why? Why is that happening? One of the biggest drivers is unnecessary care delivered to patients with serious illness and 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 people at the end of life. And you know, it affects everybody. You know, just on a personal level. Uh, affected my family shortly before uh, I met Stephen and and we decided to do this together. And I think a lot of people have those stories and just, you know, even look at the the numbers, you know, financially, about 60% of personal bankruptcies are driven by unaffordable medical bills. It's a big problem. You know, insurance companies need to recover these amounts. It has to go somewhere. So often that leads to higher premiums. You know, just at the biggest, you know, macro level, the Medicare trust fund probably be insolvent in a few years, right? And then what happens to taxes? You know, it just, so there's, it's a huge problem. It's a great foundation for business. Let's go solve it. Um, and let's solve it for, for people in a way that, that we can feel good about. And that probably gets more to my motivation and my co-founders and for the team that chose to join us on this mission. I think people are, are tend to look for something more than just a paycheck. And it takes a lot of people to do, you know, to, to, to build a business and make this happen, not a good people. And, you know, it's, we really are, are on a mission at Iris to help patients receive care that they want and avoid care that they don't want. And a lot of people understand all too well how hard that is to do. And so uh, we've really, I think, also had a great platform to be able to just uh, attract amazing people to join us on this mission and, and help build this business into something that can reach thousands, tens of thousands, you know, hundreds of thousands of patients that are struggling with this every day and bring them something that, that somebody will actually pay us for. And that's where, you know, so often in, in healthcare, final point here, incentives are misaligned. That's, that's one of the foundational principles on, on, on which Allidate is created to align incentives and incentives are aligned in advanced care planning. It's not good really for anybody to deliver care to people that don't need it. Uh, so that's, it, that, that's really, a, you know, at, at, at the highest level, what, you know, we came from concept and brought it into reality of the viable business. Steve, now that it has shown that it helps patients, that families deeply appreciated, that it saved the healthcare system money, it seems in retrospect very obvious, but what kind of barriers did you hit along the way? What did you struggle with for fundraising? What did you struggle with operationally? I think that there's a, a concern out there that, well, it obviously it's, it seems obvious to your point. It's very bad for people to have care delivered that they need to pay for that it becomes so unaffordable that they have to file for bankruptcy as an example. But on, on the same token, there, there, there's sometimes this concept that, you know, saving money in, in healthcare may not be a virtuous pursuit, right? And that there may be some concepts of, you know, restricting care, you know, but it's all about people getting the right care. Healthcare, time in the hospital, more tests, more procedures, 
that's not always a good thing. Uh, in fact, it's a bad thing if you don't need those things. Uh, it, it doesn't really help anybody. So I think it, early on, especially, this has really changed. I'd say that even uh, over the last few years of COVID, people are really thinking about things a little differently and thinking about it's, it's good to think about what you would or wouldn't want, um, you know, for, for your own care. Um, some of the some of the kind of psychological barriers, I would say, especially in the earlier days, were the strongest around, hey, is this some, this is we're dealing with mortality, we're dealing with, you know, really sensitive topics. Is this something that we really want to engage with or not? And thankfully, I think the mindset in in America has has changed on that pretty significantly. So, Stephen Buchanan, we've said we brought in your team to do advanced care planning. Advanced care planning means a lot of different things to different people. Can you talk us through what is it that you did? What is it that you brought to these patients and their families? Yeah, thank you. Uh, so this is really a comprehensive uh, approach to the discussion. As you mentioned, there's not been, while well, our specialty has made attempts at creating a definition around advanced care planning, there's nothing that's universally accepted. And so there are times we know from studies where doctors who are recorded spend seconds or minutes on this type of discussion, which is not doesn't really go with the, the spirit of what's supposed to be done. So a couple key elements here. Number one, we get people who have already, they're already in the midst of having an illness. It's different talking about theoretically what might happen to you when you're healthy than when you actually are facing a serious illness, a serious prognosis, your mindset, how you make decisions is very different. So we're talking to people that actually have late stage malignancy or CHF or COPD or uh, in, into dementia and so forth. The second thing is, you know, we bring families into this. We know we have very good data that there's a a wave of caregivers nationwide, over 50 million of them, who are, who are helping care for these people. Caregivers are, are generally family members, either spouses or adult children, and that they want to be included in these discussions. They want more information on what's happening, more time with clinicians, and they want more of a voice in what happens to them. And so you know, in practice, even when I see people in their homes or in my clinic, I see the patient and maybe I get to see one other adult, a spouse or an adult child, but there's lots of these stakeholders in the patient's care. And so usually during, you know, the eight to five, Monday to Friday, when those care is delivered, folks are at work during the day or they live out of town, they live out of state. Technology allows us to offer this evenings and weekends. So everybody can join, hear the same information, ask their questions. And this is a key part of, the, our, of our process because these are crucial conversations where you know the definition of crucial conversation is feelings are strong, the stakes are high, but feelings are different. And so when that happens, you hear conflict bubble up. Bubbles up out of love, but there's conflict there. And it's our job to help iron that out because if everybody's not on the same page, everybody doesn't need to agree. You know, we're not trying to get everybody to agree to what the patient wants. We're trying to get everybody to support the patient and what their goals are. So very, very different. 
oftentimes you're not going to change people's minds. So we want everybody to be heard, their opinions and feelings to be validated, but we want that patient's voice to be the loudest in the room. We want them to be on the pedestal. And getting everybody together like that allows this to happen. The other thing that we do is, you know, we walk them through scenarios that they are likely going to face given their specific illness. If you give somebody advanced directives that come out from a state that are state sanctioned, they're incredibly generic. And so it's really hard to think through uh, these very broad generic situations. We get more specific with folks and then we get the documents done for them. This is a giant obstacle in advanced care planning. When any doctor gives a patient and family the state forms to fill out the director physician, the medical power of attorney, and says, bring these back completed, it happens almost never, very close to zero, because there's a couple of problems with the forms. The, the biggest of which is that they're written in legalese, right? They're so intimidating to read. I've read every state I've practiced in hundreds of times over, and it's still very difficult language for me as a physician. It's incredibly intimidating as a patient. The other piece is that they only talk about what happens when someone's actively dying. So we make it much more simple, straightforward for folks to get the documents done. We really walk them through every step of the way of getting them uh, together. And we add on our own documents that, that sort of shores up what the state's documents are lacking. So ours are plain, simple language specific to their illness and their family situation and take into consideration scenarios much more upstream than when someone's actively dying. So all of those documents are completed. It's our responsibility to get them witnessed, notarized, whatever the state requires. And then they're widely distributed. If you're lucky uh, as a primary care doctor to have the documents, it doesn't mean that the cardiologist has them or the oncologist or the nephrologist. It doesn't mean that they're in the hospital. Your children who live three states away may not have them available. So we distribute those documents and then they live online. And so they're available anytime, anywhere. And it's not just the documents, it's the actual conversations. Everything we do is recorded. One of the things that I found in dealing with families over the years is that months later, sometimes even years later, it would be, he said, she said, no, I remember it differently. And again, more conflict, more stress comes out of these different perspectives people have. By having these recorded, you hear everything in the patient's voice. So if we're siblings and nine months later, we disagree on what dad said, there it is in dad's words. And if you're the doctor and you're skeptical or worried about the plan that you see in front of you, it is memorialized. So it brings a, a great deal of, of comfort and peace of mind. And then the last piece of our process is this is longitudinal in nature, meaning we know that ACP discussion should not be one and done. Uh, they need to be living conversations, living documents. People's illnesses progress, they evolve, uh, they change. And as, as, as those morphs occur, uh, preferences will also change. How someone feels about their plan for stage four lung cancer in month three of their diagnosis is very different in month 13. And so we follow them over time, update the documents. 
when they change their minds, we call those shift points, and then redistribute them so they're always reflective of how folks are feeling. And then, you know, really, we want the PCP to be uh, at the center of this. So throughout that entire process I just outlined, we're communicating with the PCP, not just with the documents, but with updates on what's been happening, any red flags and so forth. So it really allows the physician who's the owner of the relationship to titrate how much they should be involved in this comprehensive ACP. Stephen, I mentioned at the beginning that for some of the patients, and this was specifically the patients who died after having received your services, uh, the savings to the healthcare system were around $24,000 per patient. I think it would help if we got a little bit more concrete, especially for people who aren't familiar with the end of life process or advanced care planning. Allidate is not in the business of denying care. None of these patients got turned away from something that they wanted. So what's the difference? What happened for these patients that wouldn't have happened otherwise that, that led to that? Yeah, there's a phenomenon that's been written about in healthcare around how healthcare professionals go through serious illness, you know, doctors and nurses and such. And we are masters at avoiding that which is non-beneficial. And it's because we have this sort of insider information. And so ACP is never about diverting people from care that they want. It's about empowering them. And so good advanced care planning gets information into the hands of patients and families for them to make decisions that is in accordance to their spirituality, their family dynamics, their culture, their ethos. And so some of those folks are going to want more aggressive care. And that's great. We just need to know that and we support that. And some people are going to say, you know what, if that's really not going to be medically beneficial, I don't want to go through it. That turns out to be most people, but either way, folks come out of our program feeling supported. Again, we're not looking for agreement, agreement between you know, uh, patients and their family members or patients and their doctors or the patients and IRIS. We're looking for support. The reason that we're called IRIS, I should say, is that you know, we think about what are the unique things found in nature? It's different for everybody. And the iris of the eye is a good example. And so that's where the name comes from. All of these plans are different for the individual. And so they need to feel supported in those plans. And it is never about steering someone in one direction or another. Uh, I don't think there's ever been any evidence that I've seen that folks get less care near the end of life than they wanted. The problem has been they get much more care to the point where it's non-beneficial or sometimes even harmful. So Steve Wardle, uh, as we first launched this work together, and I was literally driving up and down the Eastern seaboard, sometimes by myself, sometimes as part of a roadshow uh, with Stephen Buchanan, uh, to engage Allidade partner physicians to do this work, we sometimes heard concerns that the doctors felt like it would be just strange and awkward to have somebody from the outside having these conversations and that patients wouldn't respond well to it. But we heard from patients and families that that was not the case at all, that the conversations were done in a very sensitive way, that they 
the patients and families really appreciated this. How do you teach to that? How do you train staff to have such difficult conversations in a way that they worked so well? Uh, great question. So we start by really finding the right people in the first place. So part of it is actually just the hiring process and maybe different from, you know, standard hiring process. One of the things that we're always looking for and test for is compassion and empathy and having that kind of disposition. And then that's something that, that we can work with. And so, and we also hire healthcare experts. So what does that mean? You know, nurses, social workers, people that work in the system, know it from the inside and can be that sort of translator. So that the insider information that Stephen was just talking about that physicians have so that they can really be, uh, you know, a, a guide and a trusted source and bring some real life experience to bear. And what that allows for is for them to empower the patients that they're talking to and their family members, but especially the patient to really gain a voice in directing their own care. When you don't know what you don't know, you sometimes feel out of control. Our net promoter score, kind of a common measure of satisfaction is for us really through the roof. It's, it's over 90 and you know, anything over 80 is considered world-class. It's really hard to do. Very proud of that. One of the things we're probably most proud of in building Iris. And I think it really just comes down to people that we hire and then train are able to help patients gain a voice, more of a voice in directing their own care. Some other things we train for ability to resolve conflict. So conflict resolution can be a really important part of these discussions. We pull in family members. This is a group discussion that we have, right? Because it's a group that's going to go through in the moment, really difficult decision-making. And so let's have that group there from the beginning and with really important decisions and, you know, out of love often, or fear, uh, conflict can emerge. And it's much better for it to emerge in these discussions where it's in advance and we're not in the heat of the moment. And our, our guides are what we call facilitators can help resolve that conflict and elevate the voice of the patient and get through some of the always very you know, complicated family dynamics. And we spend really you know, hours and hours, whether it's conflict resolution, or just a host of other things that, that we are always kind of training towards. We spend hours and hours coaching. So we find the right people. We have some upfront training, but over time, we're continuing to work through, as Stephen mentioned, we record everything. Every conversation we have is recorded and we listen. So over time, we are helping these really gifted individuals, the facilitators, to become, you just gain more and more mastery over these types, having these discussions, they're, they're challenging, but there's, there's kind of an art and a science to it. I think all of those things combined really speak to how were we able to gain the, the trust of the, the, the primary care providers to entrust us with these conversations with their patients, which comes from gaining the trust and satisfaction of the patients and, and family members themselves. And Steve, you have entrusted Elevate enough to let Elevate acquire your company. Uh, what are you hoping we might be able to accomplish together? This, interestingly enough, it was became sort of a an easy decision when it came down to it. When when we were approached about, hey, you know, obviously we want to continue working together, but 
but what about combining the companies? So, so we asked ourselves, why? Why would we combine the companies? How, how is this better than staying apart? And I think there's, a, there's just a, a couple of, of ways. When we save, uh, as you were describing before, a range from in the 4,000s to up to 24,000 for people, you know, the, the way that these arrangements were typically working, we charged a fee for that. And, and then the bulk of those savings would really go to, to our client. And oftentimes a client was a, was, was a health plan. And we didn't have a, a model like Allidate has to be able to really kind of enter any of these value-based partnerships and take risk. And, and so to be able to do that was just, it just made all the sense in the world. We're creating this value and the way that Allidate shares and makes sure everybody wins would be a huge improvement versus how Iris was operating currently in more of a, you know, we were working in the value-based care world, but we, our, our, our revenue model was more of a fee for service. So, so that was one. And, and then two, you know, it's always frustrating that we can, you know, even the best analytics in the world where we identify these are the exact right people and Allidated helped with that, as you know, uh, you have excellent analytics, even the best in class analytics, you can't force somebody to have these conversations, right? It's, it's a trusted relationship. You can't get around that. Patients have to decide that they want to do this. And how do we gain trust as a completely independent third party called Iris that they've probably never heard of before? Well, one of the ways is to align with physicians. That's really kind of number two here is by aligning with Allidade, we align with their physicians and we align with where the trust is. And, and we've seen really significant increases in the, you know, of those that we want to speak to. So part of our success is just how many are we successful in getting to a yes? How many will actually give us the confidence to have these discussions? We can reach more people if we're aligned with the physicians through Allidade. Those were, I think, two of the biggest pieces. And if we had to choose, I think, you know, we're really excited about typically in a, in a more traditional arrangement with the health plan that the physicians, unless we have a partnership with the physicians through somebody like Allidade, the physician doesn't really share in those savings. And in, in this case, now they do. Dr. Stephen Mechanic and Steve Wardle of Iris now part of Allidade. This has been a great conversation and, and even more so it's been a great journey over these past few years. Sure has, Josh. Thank you so much for having us and for always believing in us. Yeah, we're, for your we're eternally grateful. This episode of the ACO Show was produced by Leanne Prieti, Dan Ablin, and Alana Coogan. Our theme music is by Greg Berry. You can find previous episodes on our website, alladay.com, or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and join us next time.